This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. Today we got two really great guests. The first one is a legend. Thankfully, I was able to get a couple of minutes of his time just as he was getting ready to head out the door and fly out to Indianapolis for the scouting combine. But before that, I wanted to pick his brain a little bit on what he thinks the Jets should and will do in the 2019 offseason. And it's good because he'll give me a national perspective. We've been having mostly local reports and local personalities on people that are Jets fans or follow the Jets exclusively so he has a fresh perspective to offer he's a 16-year veteran of Sports Illustrated now covering the NFL over at Patriots.com I know I know it's the Patriots but we love him anyway Mr. Don Banks Don thanks so much for coming on man thanks Scott I thought sure you'd lead with the fact that I contribute to the athletics so that your Jets listeners didn't uh, tune out immediately but I appreciate it uh how you doing good to be back with you Oh, it's great, man. This is the most exciting time of the year if you're a Jets fan. <laughs> you know? I suppose. The, with the Patriots, it's different. You get excited around the Super Bowl. With the Jets, you get excited after the Super Bowl. So there's free agency, there's the draft, there's the new coach, the general manager sticking around. So let's start with all of that with the general manager and the coach. What do you think from the outside about Mike McCagnin sticking around, and what do you think about the hiring of Adam Gase? You know, I was thinking about Gase today, and in, in all reality, three years ago, he kind of was what the league is looking for now, right? I mean, he was kind of a version of the Sean McVay, the quarterback whisperer, comes out of the assistant coaching ranks with, with a, a reputation for being able to work with quarterbacks, get the most out of quarterbacks, um, not only in Denver, but in Chicago. So it's funny. He has success his first year in Miami. It looks like all arrows pointed up. And then the last two years go sideways. It's it's the Jay Cutler year, uh, which felt like treading water from, from the minute Tannehill went down in August. And, and then last year was the Tannehill comeback, and it, it just felt like that team – went out and, and took the wrong approach in free agency, loaded up on a bunch of veterans that were 30-plus and, and, and really never came together on the field. So I'm trying to see the, the glass half full with Gase. And I think, you know what, people that were ready to give up on him, it's probably premature based on the last two years in Miami and some, some extenuating circumstances. I don't think he did a great job to be honest, in Miami. I think he I think he had that classic first uh, coach op- head coaching opportunity that went um, through curveballs at him, and he did not get the bleeding stopped when he had to. So I, I am, I'm not down on the hire, and I'm not entirely high on the hire. I just feel like, you know what, he's, he's probably closer to the guy that came in with fresh eyes and a fresh start and got – the Dolphins, a pretty mediocre team, to ten and six and into the playoffs. Um, and let's be honest, Scott, rookie coaches for the Jets. This is one of my favorite stats. You can put them down; they're going to win nine or ten games. Todd Bowles went ten and six, and I know he missed the playoffs with that Week Seventeen loss at Buffalo. I was at that game uh, for Sports Illustrated. A bunch of Jets fans thought they were going to playoff clinch that day and party all night. Um, but you know. Everybody, Rex Ryan, um, everybody that's been through there uh, has has won early. And I'm gonna I'm gonna quiz you. Do you know the last Jets first year coach who didn't have a winning season, at least a winning season? 
Of course, I know the answer to that. Rich Kotite. <laughs> Rich Kotite. <laughs> with, with a Sterling 3 and 13, I want to say in 95, maybe, or 96, somewhere in there. And then he went 1 and 15 afterwards. But it's it's a given. You know, Herm Edwards, Bill Parcells, even Al Groh had his 9 and 7 and out. Um, uh, it, it, it's amazing how many guys have come in and, and won early. So from that perspective, you know, prepare for nine or 10 wins and, and first year success for Adam case. But, um, I give it a, I give it a, 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 a decent shot of having some success, but, uh, he's not the Adam Gase reputationally that he was three years ago coming into this job. And he's going to need some help from Mike McCagnin, who's going to be picking the players and doing things in free agency. Things haven't gone so well for McCagnin so far, you think that the Jets made a mistake keeping him, or do you think he can turn this thing around? I guess I thought he deserved one more shot, but the but the you know the blueprint of kind of having a coach and a and a GM on kind of separate and parallel tracks answering to the owner didn't really work so well with Todd Bowles and hoping that the the, the lines of authority is is better now and that this system works a little bit better. McCagnin has had some nice moments, and he's had some misses, obviously. I think he deserved one more year, and I think he deserved to get a guy that he wanted in there, and, and, and let's see if the marriage works. A lot of times, um, a second <laughs> a second go-around goes a little bit better for a GM. Again, he was kind of learning the ropes the same time Todd Bowles was. It feels like a little bit like the Gase um, hiring to me. It feels like I'm not I'm not down on it, but I'm not in love with it either, and I'm certainly not convinced Mike McCagnin's going to be long-term in the job. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You mentioned how... Jets' first-year head coaches tend to have success. And the last two of them, part of the reason that they had first-year success is because they were able to go out and spend kind of wildly in free agency. If you remember, the Jets went out and they got Bart Scott in 2009, Jim Leonard. They were bringing over those guys mm -hmm. from Baltimore with Rex Ryan. And then, of course, with Todd Bowles, it was basically an entire new secondary that was brought in with Cromarty and Darrell Revis and Buster Screen. And there were some other key additions that were made. And so I think that is part of why they had a lot more success in 2015 than 2014.
2018. I assume we're going to see something similar this year because the Jets have a boatload of cash to spend. We'll save Le'Veon Bell for the end. I wanted to ask you what you thought about who the Jets could and should target, and especially Trey Flowers, because obviously you write for Patriots.com, so what would you think about the Jets going after him? He's what you want. He's a younger <laughs> pass rusher, and it seems to me that he's going to be one of the more sought-after players on the market. This has been um, a trend for a while now that Patriots players never really go anywhere else and perform the same at the same level as they do in New England. So kind of buyer beware and, and, and have your eyes open on that. I, I want to talk first and foremost um, about Antonio Brown. I, I would throw my body in front of McCagnan if I'm a Jets fan and ask him not to go there. Um, I, think it's, I think it's absolutely the wrong guy bringing in to a situation you hope that it is starting fresh with a young quarterback who you definitely don't want to bring a lot of negativity around and you want to have somebody that is not in his ear every time he's not getting the football to his liking. I couldn't think of a, a much worse move. Um, as spectacular a playmaker as Antonio Brown is, I just think he'd be an absolute wrong um, mixed to the to the locker room, and you know they're trying to set a new tone of of more more discipline and more commitment. And I I can't imagine anybody worse. Now Bell, he is such a talent that again, I'd be a little I'd be a little wary that it was a a guy that was really kind of all about Le'Veon Bell the last couple of years, bringing him into the locker room. But I could be convinced that he is that special player that. It could really help Darnold, um, you know, to the next level by taking a lot of the offensive spotlight and the burden away from him. But um, m more interested in then going out and getting guys. You know, I see today that Don uh, Dante Moncrief was targeted as a guy that might be potentially in their in their market. A guy like that. Um, that's where you you when you have success at free agency, you're usually getting a guy that is still kind of on the way up. And and not a guy that you know is is just getting that that big money contract post thirty. So you think they're better off going after some under the radar free agents and trying to get value as opposed to going for the big splash? I do, I do, and I understand that what market they're in, and I understand they have a what it, what is a hundred million dollars of cap room, something crazy, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's nuts um, how much money they have to spend, but. Um, I just don't think that that track record has ever really worked out. And, you know, what worries me again is the case last year in Miami kind of in a, a little bit of a desperation mode went out and tried to get all these quote unquote leaders, um, you know, and Amendola and Gore, uh, Josh Sitton. Uh, it tried to get guys and seed the locker room with, with veterans who had been there and done that. And most of them broke down and most of them, spent a good amount of the year injured um, and they didn't get bang for the buck. And I, that's, that's what you don't want to do in free agency by and large. Don, what do you think about the draft? The Jets have the third overall pick. Anybody there that you think that they'd be wise to pick if they're available? And do you think that trading down would be the wise move or would you prefer to sit at number three? Yeah, I think they, I think they sit because I think the need, at defensive line is perfectly hand in glove with the strength, obviously of this, this draft and, and, and the top of the draft. Um, 
you know, Quentin Williams, the Alabama defensive tackle, makes a lot of sense to me. I think Greg Williams could, the new defensive coordinator, could have a a, a great plan for him. Um, and I think, given the personnel losses that the Jets have had in the past few years, that's a guy that makes a lot of sense. I I guess I'd listen to Josh Allen as well. Um, some people are divided on on whether or not he's ready to contribute from day one. And at number three, you certainly want somebody to walk in. Uh, and be instant impact as a rookie. But presuming that Bosa is not going to be there at three, which I kind of believe at this point, pre-combine, um, I, I think they sit and take, you know, take a pick in the strength of the draft, knowing that, you know, you don't want to be in the top five any other time in, in the near future. You think anybody makes a big move up to get a quarterback? I think it's possible. I think Miami, you know, is a team that really, um, if they could, if they fall in love with Kyler Murray, I think they're going to have to move probably at least into the top 10, but this isn't, you know, this isn't last year's quarterback class and there's not going to be four in the top 10 and Lamar Jackson made five in the first round. Um, there's probably four guys that are going to squeak in, but I, I really don't think people are going to go up for, um, you know, uh, Daniel Jones uh, of Duke. So it's, it's probably, um, it's probably Murray that is that, you know, that X factor um, figure in this draft. People are going to try to figure out if he's you know, if he's large enough to stand the wear and tear, and how special an athlete he is. And I think you could see you could see Jacksonville or the Dolphins, obviously with both strong quarterback need, um, sitting there and, and looking at that guy as is is he the face of our franchise? Can we? make him the CEO of our team and, and um, toss him the keys um, confidently. And if they, if they walk out of the um, scouting, the long, arduous scouting process convinced, I could see either one of them getting aggressive and moving up. Don, last question for you. As an outside observer and somebody who obviously is close around Patriots quarters, having looked at Sam Darnold and now had a few months to step back from it, what are your thoughts on him? Do you think he's going to be a formidable foe for the Patriots for years to come? And do you think that he has that in him to become a franchise quarterback and maybe the guy that takes the mantle from Brady at some point as the best quarterback in the AFC East? I do think he's the real deal. I do think he he showed me enough and he showed people um, in the league enough at the beginning and at the end that they see the potential. It's about putting him in winning situations. By that, I mean chances or situations where he has a chance to truly compete. He's not he's not drugged down by the players and the personnel around him, or the situation, or the coaching. If he can get in the, a conducive environment for you know to bring out his best, and you know if he responds, and I think he probably will to Gase's coaching. Um, Gase again, Gase has had a pretty good track record. I think he he viewed. Tannehill is a bit of an enigma that he never could quite get the most out of, but he didn't really have him healthy for long. I really think, I think Darnold's looked at it as a guy that it's not, you're going to look back and you're, you're going to say that that was a pick that stands the test of time where he emerges in the division. Let's see, let's see, let's see who Miami's next quarterback is. Let's see Josh Allen. If he takes a step in Buffalo, because he had flashes as green as he is. But I think most people feel pretty good about Darnold um, and know that unless he gets somebody that messes him up, he's going to be um, he's going to be a quarterback to have to deal with for quite a time, quite a time in the AFC East. 
I always say when you think of national football writers, there's three names that automatically pop into your head, or at least they do for me. Albert Breer, Peter King, and the man who joined me today, Mr. Don Banks, a 16-year veteran of SI, now over at Patriots.com and The Athletic. Really glad that he was able to take a few minutes to join me. Don, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. For anybody that doesn't know where they can find your work, and I can't imagine who that would be at this point, why don't you go ahead and let them know. It's at Don Banks on Twitter, um, and I, I try to throw my stuff out on Facebook. Uh, just search my name uh, as much as possible as well. And thanks again for the chat, Scott. And um, I'm on my way to Indy, and we'll see how much um, how much the NFL world changes in the next four or five days as we get a first real look at the 2019 draft class. I have a feeling your head's going to be spinning all week. <laughs> <laughs> Usually is. There's a lot going on in Indy these days. So um, good to catch up with you. We'll talk again, all right? Absolutely. Sounds good. Thanks, Don. Have a safe trip and a good flight. Thanks, Scott. Be well. Hey, guys. Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next up, we're doing a lot of Le'Veon Bell talk this week, so let's talk to somebody who's covered Le'Veon Bell for quite a few years. He is the Pittsburgh Steelers beat reporter for Penn Live, and I'm glad that he was able to take a few minutes to discuss his time covering the great running back, Mr. Jacob Klinger. What's going on, Jacob? Not a whole lot, you know, just uh, eagerly awaiting the beginning and the end of NFL free agency like the rest of us. Yeah, that's pretty much where I think most of us are at, especially Jets fans, because the Steelers have, for the most part, pretty good infrastructure, whether they move on from Antonio Brown, who knows, and I know the Le'Veon Bell thing is kind of circling, but you got Ben Roethlisberger, you've got a team that's had a pretty fair amount of success over the last bunch of years. The Jets, on the other hand, they're looking towards this with bated breath. They've got $100 million to spend. The draft is coming up. They have the number three overall pick. And so with the $100 million to spend, Jacob, one of the guys that everybody assumes they're going to target is the former Steelers running back, Le'Veon Bell. So real quick before we get into when you started covering the team in 2015, just a little bit of background on Bell. He went to Michigan State. And in his final year, which was his junior season, he had a phenomenal year, 1,753 yards, had his pro day at Michigan State, and the only NFL head coach that showed up there at the pro day was, you guessed it, Mike Tomlin. So there had to be some sort of special connection there from the beginning. Going even to now, when things have been a little strained with the Steelers, Jacob, did you see something between Tomlin and Bell that indicated that that bond that they had ever since he showed up at Bell's Pro Day all those years ago was still intact to at least some degree? I saw a lot of respect for Tomlin from Bell. Uh, I think that's the case with uh, a lot of players on that team. The, the way Tomlin does things, he doesn't tend to elaborate on his relationships with players, and, and there's only so much you can see. I know people uh, thought his like little sideline celebrations and handshakes and stuff were like epic, but... Uh, I mean, there's there's something to it, is what uh, I'm saying. But at some point, money talks, and and no amount of collegiate friendship can can change that. So yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're good. But um, I think I could say the same about Mike Tomlin and, and a lot of players who are not as good as Le'Veon Bell too. 
Bell was picked in the second round of the NFL draft in 2013, and the only running back picked ahead of him was Gio Bernard, who was picked 37th and went to the Cincinnati Bengals. 2013, he started out injured, and this would become a little bit of a trend. We will see some injuries pop up with Le'Veon Bell over the years. So he ended up not starting the season until the third game of the year, and that was at Wembley Stadium, where he had a pretty nice debut, 57 yards on 16 carries and two rushing touchdowns. As the year wore on, Redmond ends up getting cut. Bell ends up picking his performance up more and more and more to the point where he breaks Franco Harris's rookie record for total yards from scrimmage with 1,259 yards. Now, Jacob, I know you weren't covering the team at the time, but that's pretty damn impressive for a rookie, isn't it? Yeah, it's always funny what happens with rookies, you know? Like, they either... They either do a little something or, or quite a bit of something, and it gets people very excited about, you know, the rest of their career. Or they sort of just kind of ease into it, and, you know, in the absence of, of some incredible playmaking or statistical output, people tend to decide that, well, they, they must be a boss, but they weren't quite worth it. Uh, when, you know, if you look back at, you know, the history of not just not just the Steelers, but the NFL, there's a lot of guys who had, you know, quiet rookie seasons and, and went on to have Hall of Fame careers, but... No, I mean, the the hype around Bell has been real to the extent that it's existed, uh, you know, pretty much since, since he got out there and, and started doing the things. So, a very curious career. I really, I would, I'd, I would write that book. Could be an interesting book to write someday. That book is still to be written, though, because we are not at the end, at least we assume we're not at the end of the Le'Veon Bell story. But in the second year of his career, this is right before you came in to cover the team, He had a phenomenal year. He went from rookie to all-pro in his second year. His yards per carry was 4.7, which is absolutely phenomenal. And he had multiple games where he had over 200 yards of all-purpose. And this is where we really started to see Le'Veon Bell turn into that incredible dual threat that we know about. Multiple 100-yard rushing performances, multiple 200-yard all-purpose games, Now he's becoming an elite player. So let's talk about this a little bit, Jacob. He's known now for being a dual threat and being arguably the best one in the entire league. Talk to me a little bit about what you've seen from that aspect with Le'Veon Bell since you've been covering the team. I mean, this is this is the point in his career where if you're the uh, if you're the Rams with Todd Gurley, he's trying to get a contract extension, right? And 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 the conversation that you and I are, are having wouldn't make sense for us to be having had that been the case. So that's the way I, I sort of look at these things in retrospect. But yeah, no, I mean there was there was there was a time, and there may still be a time when Le'Veon Bell uh, was the most literally impactful player on, on any given NFL field that he could step onto. You came in and started to cover the team in 2015, and I think you might have been a little bit of bad luck for Le'Veon Bell because this is when he gets his first suspension. He was with LeGarrette Blunt, got a DUI and marijuana possession charge in 2014, but the suspension comes in 2015. It's supposed to be the first four games of the season, but ends up being three instead, and we're going to get back to the suspension aspect of this in a little bit. You told me something interesting before we recorded that I wanted to get into about possible future suspensions and what he might be facing and what he might not be facing. But he comes in week three. He has another fantastic year. Again, getting to the point where he's at an all-pro level. He was ranked 41st by his fellow players on the NFL's top 100. But the downside here is that on November 1st, 2015, Bell suffers a season-ending torn MCL during the second quarter against the Bengals after taking a tackle from Vontez Perfect. So let's talk about this a little bit first. Vontez Perfect. Memory serves. It was a bit of a dirty hit, right? The hit itself was like 
probably not needed. I think the thing that angered a lot of Steelers and Steelers fans is the celebration afterward. But it was clear that the player was hurt and Burfecht, you know, tore off the sideline and ran, you know, 27 yards up and into the field and, and seemed quite excited about the fact that Bell was hurt. And, you know, as you talk to Steelers over the years, they've had a lot of very good and, and no ultimately great in terms of winning the Super Bowl teams, as long as I've been covering them. A lot of them will look back and say that 2015 team uh, was probably their best and their best chance at, at winning a Super Bowl. Um, obviously, Bell not playing half the season really really put a damper on that. And then they were still close. They still lost to the the Broncos by not much in the AFC Divisional. And as we know, the, the Broncos went on to win the Super Bowl that year. So um, all of these things look incredibly different in, in hindsight. But uh, that aspect of it, I, I would say, remains intact because it felt like a blow to a title run then, and it, and it feels like uh, at least one of the nails in that coffin now. Jacob, one thing I neglected to mention was that at the end of the 2014 season going into the playoffs, Bell got hurt again and ended up missing the playoff game. The team had to sign Ben Tate to come in and replace him. So now this is the <laughs> okay. third straight year where he's dealing with an injury. This is the most serious one, but remember, his rookie year, he missed the first three games because of injury. His second year, he ends up missing the playoff game because of an injury. Then this year, 2015, he ends up missing a significant portion of the season because of a major injury. So at this point, are people starting to wonder a little bit about his durability? Um, I know the Steelers came out. Colbert was talking about this last year. The, this, the Steelers GM made clear they weren't particularly concerned with with the Le'Veon Bell injuries because they weren't, um, you know, chronic injuries. They weren't things that just like, oh, the knee was sore, the foot was sore, the ankle was sprained. They were all the result of acute actions on a given joint. He had recovered from all of them very well. So I know it's something that NFL fans have this perverse allegiance towards, like, uh, advocating for their ownerships and lesser salaries uh, uh, for players, like, whenever push comes to shove, uh, and, and it boggles the mind. But in in this case, you know, like that's kind of one of those those false narratives that I see getting bandied about by fans. Like the injuries, you know, if the general manager didn't care about them, and it's his job to manage the team's salary cap, and he had every opportunity to like utilize reporters to further that that narrative, and he didn't. Like, I don't think Kevin Colbert's just a super nice guy to Le'Veon Bell. Like, if he's not buying it. In this case, I'm, I'm not going to either. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, to or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. We've seen a pattern here with the injuries, but we've also started to see a pattern with suspensions because for the second straight year, Bell starts the season suspended. This time, it turns out that it's because he missed numerous random drug tests the previous December. He gets suspended for four games, but it gets reduced to three on appeal. So two parts to this question. The first thing is, at this point, are people starting to worry a little bit about him being a big problem off the field? Because one suspension, okay, fine. Two of them, now we're starting to get into some shady territory. And the other part of this is, you had mentioned to me off of the phone that it's your understanding that if something were to happen to Bell again, he wouldn't jump into that next tier where he'd end up having to miss a season or something like that. 
So if you're a Jets fan and you're somebody who's worried about possible suspension or escalation of it, that is something that would be a big sigh of relief, obviously, if the Jets were to sign him and he wasn't basically facing the possibility of some major suspension for something like this. So tell me a little bit about what the thoughts were at the time with the suspension after the second one, and then talk to me a little bit about what you were explaining with future possible suspensions. Right, so yes, uh, well, first things first, uh, it was my understanding that he, he just happened to miss a test in December, and the way the NFL um, comes to the uh, program works, once you're in it, uh, a missed test is treated as a failed test, um, and, and you can sort of finagle some of those things in, in, uh, in arbitration, but, um, so I, I don't think he missed multiple tests in, in that instance. Uh, though to get to that point, obviously you have to have like multiple violations. But in December itself, I think he just missed the one, and at that point he was um, he was he was rehabbing. So yeah. Uh, anyway, it was also reported uh, after the suspension was finalized on appeal. Should he receive another a similar violation, he would not be bumped up to a ten game suspension, but would remain at the four game suspension level. So yeah, there's that in play. But again, this is one of those things where the Steelers who had every reason to float the idea of being concerned about this, explicitly said that they were not concerned about this. Setting aside for the, the second that, like, the NFL substance abuse policy with respect to marijuana is stupid and pointless and stems from, like, hundreds of years of stigmatizing and criminalizing a relatively innocuous herb. Uh, but I wouldn't be that concerned if I was a Jets fan. The Steelers front office wasn't, and they didn't even pretend to, even when it's to save the money. We've now noticed two patterns, Le'Veon Bell getting in trouble and getting suspended, Le'Veon Bell getting hurt either at the beginning or the end of a season. But here's a third pattern, Jacob, him coming in and taking the world by storm because he did that again in 2016, having just a fantastic season, going all the way through the year and ending up as the number ninth ranked player by his peers on the top 100 list. Despite missing four of 16 games, he still finished third in the NFL with 1,884 yards from scrimmage. And he started his first playoff games that year because, remember, the first time the Steelers made the playoffs when he was there, he wasn't able to go, and Ben Tate had to be brought in to take the carries. Well, here, we know what happened. Le'Veon Bell had two just absolutely monster playoff games. He had 29 carries for a playoff franchise record, 167 yards and two touchdowns in a victory over the Miami Dolphins in the first round. In the second round, it was even better, 30 carries, 170 yards. So he's just destroying everybody. But then, of course, we know what happened against the Patriots. He ends up sustaining that injury and then not able to make it through the rest of the game. The Steelers end up faltering and they end up losing the game. Two things that I wanted to ask you about with this. First of all, at this point, it really seems like Le'Veon Bell is the engine that's making this team go, and that as long as he's performing at a high level, they're going to win, and if he's not in, they're going to have a lot of trouble. The other thing I wanted to ask you about here is that there were reports that Bell had been dealing with this nagging injury for weeks and was playing with it anyway, and the pain just got to be too much to bear at a certain point in that Patriots game. Is that how you remember this? Uh, I remember the reports. I remember that he came into the game, seemingly got hurt, went out of the game, went back into the game, and was wildly less effective. You know, like you said at that time, he was one of the most, you know, dominant players in the NFL. And, and I would argue the Steelers may not have made the playoffs in a couple of those seasons without him. I'm fairly certain of it when we were talking about the 16th season. Yeah, I don't think they would have made the playoffs without him. But um, however you cut it, there's really only one player with his skill set in the league. And I don't know what shape he's in right now. 
but yeah, he's, he's played through some injuries, and you know, dealt with with his status there. But I I haven't seen any other players who can do what he does. And and at the start of that playoff run, I mean, it was just silly. It was just comical. He was just comically better than everyone else. And that is probably why the Steelers decided to franchise tag him in 2017. So let's talk about this a little bit before we get into what happened that season. Was there any kind of resistance or backlash from Bell's camp at the time when he was franchise tagged? Because obviously we know what happened when they tried to do it a second time. No one likes to be franchise tagged. Like Every player just like wants to get the multi-year contract with the guaranteed money. Because the way the NFL under the current collective bargaining agreement is set up, you basically suppress players' wages for three to four years. If you're a first-round pick, you, you get a little bump in year five. But the rest of the, rest of the way, I mean, I think, I think at the time, the, the money he was getting in that franchise tag year was like way more than he'd made in salary the whole previous four years combined. So, it, but it, you're right, it wasn't, it wasn't as big of a deal as it was obviously this year where he said, forget it, I'm not playing. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there was, there was resistance to it, but I think they got to the bargaining table in, in July and and seemingly got close, close enough that multiple reports said that Bell's mom was like, I should have signed the deal, and Bell was like, nah. Uh, so it definitely was not what it is now then. And I really I really thought going into this past offseason they were going to work something out. And I know Bell said a couple of things about them feeling like they were closer than they were in years prior, but um, it could change the game for NFL front offices. Yeah, 100%. We're going to see how that works out once free agency hits this year, but we'll get back to that in a little bit. First, let's talk about the 2017 season. This is the first, and to this point, because he skipped 2018, as we're going to talk about in a bit, the first and only time that he began the season week one, and it was another tremendous season for Bell. He ends up being a first-team All-Pro. He leads the league with 321 carries for 1,291 yards, had nine rushing touchdowns, along with 85 catches for 655 yards and two receiving touchdowns. So we talked about him being a dual threat, but at this point, he's basically turned himself literally into half-wide receiver, half-running back, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was it was kind of one of those like very like media salient points of contention that that circled around. But 2016, the Steelers' second leading receiver, who was actually a receiver, like played that position with Eli Rogers, and a guy they had previously gotten undrafted in, in 2015, and then sat out the year on IR. Got him. Martavis Bryant had uh, had been suspended. Uh, I think Marcus Wheaton left in, in free agency at that point, or no, he was he was injured. He effectively was their number two receiver. So when he was saying, pay me like the number two receiver, they were playing him like a number two receiver. And he was doing a very good job of it. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Jacob, let's talk now about where things seem to start to go wrong here in the relationship. And that is when Bell comes out on January 11th, 2018, and says that if the Steelers tag him again, he would consider sitting out an entire year or even retiring. As you had mentioned, he had reportedly turned down a two-year deal for $30 million a year before, the one that you said that his mother was encouraging him to take. He says he's not concerned about making the most money possible, but he wants to be paid in relation to his value. Now, I understand that, but you could see here where people would say, why are you popping off about this two days before a playoff game, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised by it, even just like, you know, there's this very funny thing that like NFL reporters or NFL media or adjacent types do sometimes where it's like, 
we suddenly flipped the script and decided that we should be PR advisors to people, but really we should just ask them questions and report what they say and put them in context and get on with our lives and talk about our wives and kids and dogs and succulents and whatever. Uh, but yeah, that one, that one surprised me. Um, <laughs> that one was, was pretty, pretty strange. Um, but yeah, to be clear, I don't remember there being a two for 30 deal. I, I remember something about like three for 40 some and then, Someone not being guaranteed beyond that, but in in any case, yeah, he would have. I think it was that he would get thirty guaranteed in the first two years. Um, but yeah, that was that was the first sign that like, hmm, this is going to be a little different. I will still say, going into the off season, I was just like, ah, we'll figure it out. They got close, and remember, he went on. Uh, he said, I want to say at the pro- yeah at the Pro Bowl because remember Mike Tomlin was the Pro Bowl coach that year, and he said. That uh, he felt like they were already way closer than they were the previous season. A couple months later, after he did get uh, franchise tags, he said um, he said what he was going to do was what he had done this, the previous season, which is where he would miss all the off-season activities, um, and he would miss all the training camp, which he also would not be contractually obligated to do, having not signed the tag. And then he would show up in week one. That's when it really took a turn because the, the that first they had a bonus day of practice essentially that week, and players were on I believe the Tuesday at the start of past season, like oh no it's okay we didn't really hear from him but like yeah he'll be here whatever, and then he wasn't, and the offensive line which really you know kind of speaks for the for the room a lot of times, uh, said you know guys like Marquis Thompson and Ron Foster were, were clearly upset about it. Now they walked it back the next day and they would do so throughout the rest of the season. But as as things wore on, and he eventually missed the deadline, where it was like, like you can't come now, even if you want to. Uh, guys, guys made it clear that that they were upset by it. I I thought Mike Tomlin actually did a really good job of of keeping the team focused when really week to week, week to day, even one could wonder when he, you know, Le'Veon Bell, one of the best players of this generation, was coming in, uh, and and the team like. Those, those were actually the best parts of the Steelers season when they were waiting for Le'Veon Bell. Things took a turn shortly after they realized that uh, he wasn't coming. But uh, I don't know that I would put too much correlation with that. It's just uh, deeply ironic in the early days of February now. And we'll get back to that in a second, but first I want to ask you if you remember about this. Just before the Jaguars playoff game, he tweets out, I love round twos. We'll have two round twos in back-to-back weeks, referring to the rematch against the Jaguars, of course, also a possible rematch with the Patriots. That ended up not happening because they lost 45-42. It seemed like a lot of Steelers fans were not pleased with this, and it looked like Le'Veon Bell was looking past the Jaguars. What do you remember about this? I remember distinctly not caring so long as they actually beat the Jaguars, which <laughs> I, I thought they would. And had they done so, it's not like it would have gone down as like some Joe namath S moment. It just would have been another like you know piece of subtext. So... I mean, the Jaguars were like a mid-key trash uh, for a playoff team at that point. And, um, yeah, no, nah, I mean, he probably shouldn't tweet that out. But, like, we were all thinking it. Mike Tomlin already kind of said it. Like, I don't know. It, it's one of those things where, like, if they go out there and they beat them, then then we're not having this conversation. If Ben Roethlisberger doesn't, you know, go and get picked off by the Jaguars like he does, like, we're not having this conversation. If, uh, the defense doesn't give up 45 points to Blake Bortles. <laughs> it's literally a punchline in a sitcom. Then, like, 
we might be having this conversation, but it'd be real different. For what it's worth, they did lose that game 45-42, but Bell carried the ball 16 times for 67 yards. And as we know, the Steelers, because it was a shootout, ended up having to throw a lot. So he also caught nine passes for 88 yards and had a receiving touchdown. So not a bad day for Bell despite the loss. And now we get to where we're at now, Jacob. And some of this you already touched on, but I really want to get in depth on this. 2018 comes. Steelers placed the franchise tag on Le'Veon Bell for the second straight year. He had said he wasn't going to sign it. A lot of these guys say that and then ended up working out a deal or end up signing the tag and relenting because they don't want to give up the 14, 15, 16 million or however much it ends up being. In this case, it was 14.5 million, but Bell sticks to his guns. He wants control of his career. He wants control of his contract. He ends up not reporting to the Steelers prior to the November 13th deadline. And therefore, it makes him ineligible to play in the season. And now, of course, we are where we are. Talk me through the season here. You talked a little bit about it, but tell me about teammate reactions, what people were saying privately and publicly, because you were around the team in a close fashion. Tell me about what was happening. Sure. So again, at first, it was like, oh, he'll be here. And then it was, when he wasn't, there, there was some, some reaction. Why isn't he here? Uh, and, and a lot of, I think Ramon Foster made a comment about, you know, how much Le'Veon Bell makes compared to how much he makes, you know, in a week versus a year. And it was, it was comparable at that point. People were clearly upset initially. Then they kind of like, eh, got over it, but we continue to speculate on it. And then it shifted into more of like, whatever it is, we just want it to be over. There was a lot out there about him not talking to teammates. That wasn't true. He just wasn't talking to the teammates who, like Ben Roethlisberger, were consistently, you know, Putting, putting him out there, but they weren't talking about football when he was coming back. It was just, like, he was in for various Hayward Bay, he was like a reserve receiver and, and special teamer, and they were just checking in on each other. It wasn't really like, hey, when you coming? Because uh, I guess that wasn't a concern, but yeah, by, by the end of it, you know, players were just like, all right, well, we're going to do it without him, we're going to do it without him. So, even at that point, though, guys like Marquise Pouncey, who's, you know, been in the league and has some perspective on these things, were just like, now we love Le'Veon, like we want him to get paid. Um, you know, we'd love to be playing with him too. But guys, guys do at least kind of see it for for what it is in terms of a you know a player leverage perspective, and that is the most fascinating aspect of this to me. That is like the most like story you know engaging thing for me as a reporter. Is like, huh? I do wonder how this will change the calculations of, of NFL front offices around the league because you know. What players say is one thing. Ultimately, these guys are pros, and it's and it's pretty. It's a cold business, and they do understand that they go out there and they don't necessarily like each other, but they play football together, and it's, and it's nice. But there's never really been a player, and certainly not a player as good as Le'Veon Bell, who said this system is broken, and I refuse to participate in it. Insofar as that, I will miss not just games, but an entire season on a potentially Super Bowl winning team. Because I think this is this is broken, and I think I deserve you know uh, longer term security, and I think other players do too. He he made uh, a lot of comment about trying to sort of reset the market for running backs in general, and and change the game for for special players financially. I think what happened at the end of it is his agent didn't quite understand that he didn't need to show up to get into the next year of the franchise tag. So they frankly could have just said from, from the jump, like, well, we're not playing this year, and then and then killed a lot of the 
uh, frankly, you know, media narrative around it, given that the Steelers don't negotiate multi-year contracts or, or contract extensions during the season, or they don't find them anyway. Um, there wasn't really anything else that was going to happen at that point. But the idea of, of transforming the the market for players is deeply fascinating to me. You can make the case that he already had some effect on it in, in the deal that Todd Gurley got sort of while this whole story was brewing. But, I mean, the next time there is a Le'Veon Bell, I, I bet he gets paid more and sooner than the Le'Veon Bell has a bid. Le'Veon Bell now going to be an unrestricted free agent. If you were the Jets, would you try to sign Le'Veon Bell? And what kind of contract would you be willing to offer him? Would you be willing to offer him pretty much whatever it would take? I mean, if I was a billionaire and I owned a football team, yeah, I'd, I'd basically pay him like Antonio Brown was getting paid. Was 68 over the course of four years, average of 17. Um, you know, those, those big chunk averages are... Uh, can be misleading because these contracts tend to be very backloaded. But when, when we're talking about thirty and forty million dollar signing bonuses, yeah, now he's worth it. Um, D'Angelo Williams, who was like a character and a half to cover, uh, as when he was with the Steelers in the in the last couple of years of his career, said something interesting to me, and it was it was on the record. He said, "You know, guys don't get paid for their future performance or their present performance; they're getting paid for their past performance." Now, that's not 100% the case. Like Teams do make a calculation about what they think a guy is about to do. And the fact that Le'Veon Bell didn't play a year is double-edged. I'd be very curious to see what your, what your uh, film guy says, because his film was incredible. I know some of his like, yards per carry stats get thrown around in the context of you know, what James Conner did last season and things like that, but we're talking about a transcendent talent. We're talking about... If the NFL is an entertainment product, and I know it's structured for like everyone to go eight and eight and no one to really care or have that much of an incentive to win, but like if I'm trying to put on a show, if I have a billions of dollars and like hardly a care in the world, and I'm just going to be watching this game for my suite anyway, yeah, I'll throw an extra few million a year, maybe on Bell's way, so I get to watch arguably the most electrifying player since Barry Sanders, like do whatever it is he does. And I'll deal with his Instagram posts, and I'll subsidize his marijuana habit if he has one in the offseason. Like, well, I care. He's amazing. We're going to find out if the Jets or some other team agrees with you and is willing to give him a huge contract, a Todd Gurley-esque contract. It's going to be a fascinating free agency. And for the second year in a row, we have a player headlining it that nobody ever expected to reach free agency. Of course, Kirk Cousins last year, and this year, Le'Veon Bell. Jacob Klinger, who's a beat writer for Penn Live, covering the Pittsburgh Steelers. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. I hope we no, can talk again no, soon. I got, no, 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 no. I have a question for you. Okay. Now, now that we've gotten to this point, which NFL principal owner do you think is most likely to smoke weed with his players? <laughs> That's a great question. Wow, I never thought of that. Hmm. Not me either. I'm truly, I'm truly struck by it. Let me see. Who would be... I would think it would be one of the younger owners. Can we count the younger con from the Jaguars, the one who just invested in the wrestling company? Because his father's uh, the yeah. principal owner, but if we're counting him because he's one of the owners, then he's my right. pick. Your pick, yeah. Um, that's that's a good one. Oh, isn't the isn't the Seahawks owner like one of those like tech bro guys? Yeah, like, I could see that. Paul Allen, yeah, I could see yeah. that one too. Like it'd be it'd be really weird to smoke with him, but like he'd do it, you know. Let's see. Not 
Not Art Rooney the second. I don't think. <laughs> probably, probably none of the Mara family at the Giants. I would think Woody Johnson would probably not be one of the people on the no? list either. He might be one of those. He might be one of those like old guys who just you know never gave it up. But it's true. It's possible. <laughs> Dan Snyder, no way. Oh my God! Can you? Wow, that would be terrible. Can you imagine? Oh, he might no want to start smoking weed. He might make better decisions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm going to ask all of my friends about this. You know what? The next time you come on, this will be the first topic that we address because we'll have more time to think about it and we can do a whole thing on it. It'll be fun to delve into it. Perhaps. Yeah, we should. We should do like a March Madness bracket and everything. Perhaps we can tie it around the Antonio Brown or another Le'Veon Bell podcast if one of those two finds their way to the Jets. But for now, thank you so much Uh, for coming on. I want them to go to the same place so bad. I, I just like, I need it for my mentions. I would think the two of them would do great together anywhere they go. I mean, two of the best players in the NFL, right? Oh, man. Yeah, there's there's a lot of mutual respect there. Everything being what it was past season, there's, there's a lot of respect between those guys. And, um, yeah, I know. And I just I just need, like, uh, like post-climate apocalyptic mentions. So that's how good <laughs> we're getting. Well, Jacob, that is one interesting motivation. I'll say that. I wasn't expecting that answer. But while we wait to see how things shake out for Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, why don't you go ahead and let people know where they can find you? Yeah, speaking of my mentions, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's uh, at Jacob underscore Klingit underscore that's Klingit with a K. So like the dude from MASH. And, of course, you can check out his work at Penn Live, where he is covering the Pittsburgh Steelers. You can read all the off-season stuff if you want to know about Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, or pretty much anybody else involving the Pittsburgh Steelers. Jacob, thanks so much for coming on, man. I hope we can do this again soon. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure, Jacob, and you definitely gave me something to think about as far as the owners. I'm going to have to put my brain on that one and really think, and I'll have an answer for you the next time we talk. And, hey, if you're listening to this and you have your own answer as to which owner you would pick, feel free to tweet it at Jacob or I. All answers are welcome. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to follow Don and Jacob on Twitter. Read their work. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.